It is our privilege to have Dr. Jim Dillow with us here this morning. And I just wanted to introduce him. Some of you may not know, but uh, he uh, was a, is a former uh, district superintendent for the Joplin District, uh, where we are. And, uh, of course, he's been to our church before, and uh, so he is here to bring a message for us this morning. Good. Thank you. Well, what an honor it is to be here. And uh, I'm not here as a former district superintendent. I'm here as the messenger for the morning, and so please... Uh, Please receive it as that, would you? I'm not here on any official business other than the Lord's business, and uh, don't have to do a board meeting or pastoral review or any of those things, and boy, am I relaxed. I just, <laughs> however, I, you know, we, whenever, whenever we're in settings where Pastor Brian is and, and he's speaking, we always, we always say, tell us, a, tell us a Roy story, and... Uh, I don't have any Roy stories or Ike stories or any stories about shooting a coon out of a tree or anything of that nature. I, I just, uh, I do have a shotgun, but it's never been fired. So that, that's the only hunting story I have. My boys, my boys love to hunt, and uh, I'm glad they do. They're deer hunters. They're, they're, they've been doing bow season, and, and uh, they enjoy getting out and doing those things. And we, I did some of that when I was younger. But uh, when you're old, you put younger ways behind you sometimes, out of necessity. And so that's, uh, that's kind of where I am. But what a joy to be here. Susan and I just are honored to be here this morning and uh, to celebrate with you and to rejoice with you and to thank God for what he is doing in Marshfield Church of the Nazarene. I want to talk to, us, to you this morning and share with you a little bit about our testimony. You know, we all leave a testimony and uh, whether we want to or not, we, we leave a testimony. I, uh, I, I, uh, and, and the more we mature in our faith, the more significant that should become to us. And specifically this morning, I'll be sharing with you from Psalm chapter 34. So turn in the scripture with me, please, to, to that particular passage. In just a few minutes, we'll get there. But specifically... I want us to think about the testimony of the redeemed. If you know Christ as your personal Savior this morning, you are a redeemed person. Christ lives in your heart. He dwells in your soul. And uh, as a result of that, we are classified as among the redeemed. But before we get to that, let me just say this to you. And now here are the hosts of tonight's show, Pat Zajac and Vanna White. That's right. Wheel of, you're Wheel of Fortune watchers, I can tell. And uh, Susan and I are too. Uh, and it is America's game. Wheel of Fortune, at least they say, it's, it's America's game. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand because this isn't a confession time. But uh, how many of you have a Wheel ID number? We, we do. Yeah, yeah, we do. We were in Branson. We were in Branson a few months ago and... And watching Wheel, we don't watch Wheel of Fortune every night. But if we're home, we do. But we were in Branson, and Wheel of Fortune came on, and and uh, Susan has a Wheel ID number. I don't. She keeps wanting me to get one, and I tried to get one one time, but uh, it didn't register. So I thought, well, I'm not supposed to have a Wheel ID number. And uh, so we were in Branson, and Wheel of Fortune came on, and and we went through the whole thing. And at the end of the show, they put up the ID number, and it was S. D, and then a series of numbers. 
And I said, Susan, what's your ID number? And she said, I don't remember. And it's at home. And we were so convinced that we were about to win the $5,000 that we were ready to hop in the car and drive all the way back to Carthage just to check out our wheel ID number. But she remembered that it wasn't hers. And so we just stayed put. You know, Wheel of Fortune is an interesting game, isn't it? If I were to play, I'm confident that uh, I would land on bankrupt. I would lose a turn. I certainly would not win the or get the million-dollar wedge. And even if I made it to the jackpot round, I'm not fast enough in my thinking to figure all that out. Sometimes... It just seems life is that way, doesn't it? At least we assume that it is. The passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning finds David in somewhat of a setting that uh, would have allowed him to have thoughts like that. Psalm 34, David is standing before Abimelech and, uh, and Abimelech's army is about to go to war and against the people of God. And so David has opportunity now to plead his case and his cause. And some have even said that in this passage of Scripture, David and his, and and it would have been good to hear this conversation because you certainly can't read it in the Scripture. But they said David was in such a frame of mind that uh, after he was finished giving to him all of the verses of Psalm 34, Abimelech, all the verses of Psalm 34, Abimelech said to himself, David's insane. He's just insane. But as I read this passage of Scripture, I would much rather refer to it as a testimony of a redeemed soul. Had it been written then... I'm confident David would have, have just rejoiced over Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted from God. He doesn't say that, but that was the essence of what he was wanting Abimelech to understand. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praises, his praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The poor man, this poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. And then look at, with me just for a moment at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attentive to their cry. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? 
That's the testimony that David is giving to Abimelech. It wasn't a testimony from an insane man. It was a testimony of a redeemed heart, a a man who was confident that God would come through. There's a lady in the Independence Kansas Church, the Nazarene. Nazarene, her name is Arlene Stelting. And a little over a year ago, we were in a setting and testimonies were being shared. And Arlene stood and she said, she was telling about her brother passing away. And and she said this, she said there was a, the, the minister who did the service said this to me. She said, Arlene, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. I want you to think about that for a moment. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. And that's the testimony that David is leaving. That's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he penned, in 2 Corinthians when he penned the, the beautiful words. And so let's talk about our testimony this morning just for a few minutes. Let's first of all take a look at sharing a testimony of praise. The first three verses from Psalm 34 speak to us of this, sharing a testimony of praise. We don't sing it very often in the church anymore. When I was growing up in the church, we used to sing it all the time. It's called the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise, a testimony of praise makes a difference. Isaiah expressed it this way in Isaiah chapter 61. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What a beautiful word of encouragement and promise for us this morning. Listen to, his, listen to God's word through Isaiah. The spirit of the, Lord, of the sovereign Lord is on me. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. The spirit of the Lord, the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then he goes on to say that when this, is, when this happens, this is what we become. They will, speaking of, of, of the redeemed, they will become oaks of righteousness, a testimony of praise. God invites us to share that kind of testimony. He invites us to live that kind of testimony. He invites us to be more than conquerors, as Paul said to the church in Rome. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A little over a year ago, about about close to a year and a half now, a very dear friend of ours, Ron Cherry, just in his early 60s, uh, discovered that uh, he had cancer. And uh, he dealt with the cancer for about four or five months. But on August the 22nd, 2014, he was ushered into the joys of the Lord. Ron was a very dear friend, a very, very special friend, a great man of encouragement and uh, just positive always. And when he looked at people, he, and he, Ron, Ron, I was Ron's pastor for 12 years. 
And I know there were some times when Ron faced some very difficult things. But as I talked with him and, and he shared his heart with me about some of the circumstance that he was going through, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, you know, they, they, they mean well. And it's all going to be okay. I'm trusting. And uh, it's all going to be all right. That was the way Ron lived his life. A testimony of praise, a testimony that was reassuring, a testimony that was always uplifting and even dealing with the battle of cancer. He said time and time and time again, it is not going to defeat me. God is going to win. And all the way to the grave, that was his testimony. Loved ones, share a testimony of praise. It will lift someone. It will lift you. It will encourage someone. It will encourage you. But as we consider the testimony of a redeemed soul, let's also think about this for a moment. Live a testimony that pursues God. You heard in the word that we read in David's testimony, I sought the Lord. Those who look to him are radiant. This poor man called, the Lord answered. You know, it's easy for us to say, yeah, I've known people like that. And uh, I, wish, I wish I could say that was the testimony of, of my, my heart. I wish that I had that kind of, that kind of reassuring peace and, and grace. Well, can I remind us all of something this morning? We're the only ones who keep that from happening in our own soul. It's okay to say amen. Because it's true, isn't it? We're the only ones who, can, uh, who keep that from happening in our own soul. Pursuing God. And let me encourage you with this this morning. As long as we are able to respond, it's never too late to pursue him. As long as we are able to respond, it's never too late to pursue him. My dad made his first trip to an altar of prayer when I was 13 years old. That would have made dad about 43 and for several months, he was very close to the Lord and faithful to worship. And then something happened, and a very unfortunate incident. And Dad never became bitter, but he just kind of stopped going. But he never gave up on God. I'd come home, and I'd catch him reading the Bible. And after God called me to preach, when I was a freshman at Bethany Nazarene College, Dad, my dad was a carpenter, and uh, I remember my first time home after I had called mom, dad, said God's called me to, to ministry. I didn't think initially God had called me to preach. I, I love to sing, and so I thought, well, I can be a worship leader somewhere, but God had different ideas. And, and so when, when I went home and, and we were talking about the, my call, dad's response was, well, what do you want to do that for? The gods know my dad, knew my dad. They can hear him saying that. What do you want to do that for? Well, then after a while, he realized that this was a very real thing for me. And uh, I knew that he was giving approval when I, when I went home one time and he said, Well, son, 
He said, if God's going to call you to preach, maybe you should get a, get a hearse and follow, follow the sirens. <laughs> that, that was his way of saying, it's okay. If God wants you to do this, it's, it's, it's okay. But Dad never gave up on God, but he wasn't close to the Lord until just about six months before he passed away. And he was in the hospital, and my family was all gathered around, aunts and uncles, his brothers and sisters. And, and so after a while, I, I just said, uh, I'd like for everyone to leave, except for my brother and sister and my mother. We just need to spend some time with Dad. And so I said to him, I said, Dad, Dad was in a, in a coma. I didn't know if he could even hear me. I said to him, I said, Dad, you remember when I was a little boy and I was uh, using your saw? They didn't have skill saws back then. They did everything with a hand saw. I said, you remember, you remember when I was cutting on that board with your saw and I just was working away and sweating and, and just it was tough for me to get through it. And you came out and you said, son, he said, you said, uh, just hold the saw in your hand and move it back and forth and let the saw do the work. I said, Dad, you remember that? I said, Dad, you're at a point in your life where you just need to let Jesus do the work. Just let go and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. A couple of days he came out of his coma and we were having conversation again and my sister said to him, said, Dad, do you remember Jim talking to you about letting Jesus do the work? And he said, yes, sis, I do. And he is. I've given it all to him. I wish dad would have been close to the Lord all of his life. But I'm glad he never gave up on God, and I'm glad that God gave him at least six months of that renewed fellowship, and that close fellowship in the Spirit. As long as we are able, it's never too late to pursue God. The testimony of a redeemed soul, the testimony of a, of a heart that pursues God is a testimony that will impact the lives of others. A man who lived in the 16th century, who goes by the name of Brother Lawrence, lived that kind of life. So much so that even though he was in a monastery, he was not a monk. He chose just to wash dishes and to mend sandals. But he wrote in those days, he wrote a little booklet called Practicing the Presence. I've read that little book several times, and Every time I read it, my soul is encouraged because to pursue God means that that's exactly what we are doing. We are practicing the presence of the Holy One. And when we practice the presence of the Holy One, others will be drawn to Him, not to us, but to Him. And Jesus said, when I am lifted up, then all men shall be drawn unto me. So live a life that pursues God. Well, I need, to, I need to hurry on. I know you're accustomed to getting out of church at 1130. 
I know that's not true, too, so. Let me ask you this. What impacts your testimony for Christ? Is it life circumstance or Christ confidence? When we pursue him, it will be Christ confidence. And what a blessed way to live. Testimony of the redeemed. Rejoice in a testimony that uh, is blessed with rest. Leslie Brandt has written a little booklet on the Psalms entitled Psalms Now. And I love the way she expresses verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 34. What he has done for me, he can do for you. Turn to him. He will not turn away from you. His loving presence encompasses encompasses those... I'll get it right in a minute. Encompasses those who yield to him. He is with them in the midst of their troubles and conflicts. He meets their emptiness and his abund- with his abundance and shores up their weakness through his divine power. Dr. Ralph Earl once said that uh, sometimes the most significant thing that a, that a spiritual man can do when he's tired is rest. Sometimes our greatest need is rest, isn't it? Years ago, Susan and I pastored in Topeka, Kansas at Topeka Oakland Church of the Nazarene, and, and, and God was blessing. The church was growing, and uh, things were going very well, and, and we were just celebrating what God was doing, but I just was physically exhausted. And there was a couple in the church who had a home on, uh, on the shores of Table Rock Lake, and they knew that uh, physically I was exhausted, so Paul came to me and, and said, Pastor, let, let me and Josie take you and Susan to the little cabin and uh, show, you the, show you the ropes so that if, when you have a chance, you can get away and you can go there and uh, just enjoy some time. And so we, we went. And, and uh, <clears throat> you need to know that if I'm going to be in a car... I want to be driving because I don't trust you. I know how I drive. And no, I'm just, I'm just teasing with you. But I do like to drive. I, in fact, Susan and I, just, just a couple of months ago, were in North Carolina, and we decided on our way home, there was a place where we should have stopped. But I said, you know, the GPS says, if, it was about 6 o'clock in the evening. The GPS says that if we keep going... We'll be home by midnight. And so we drove for 19 hours. And someone said, well, Susan shared the driving, didn't she? And yes, she did. I let her drive for about 45 minutes, and uh, I drove the rest. I, I just enjoy driving, and, and I want to drive. But on this trip to, to, and to Brant, Branson, Paul drove, and I, I really did know how, I, I knew how he drove, and he was not a careful driver. He was fast, and so much so that one trip that he and Josie made to Branson, they were in Nixa, and uh, that divided highway part, there was a guy that cut him off, and, and that irritated Paul. And so the guy went up on up a ways, and then he turned around and, and started back north. And so Paul just followed him, followed him all the way home, and said, now, you shouldn't do that, you know, basically. I don't know what else he said, but I know he said that. But I was so tired, I slept all the way from Topeka to Branson. 
And then when we got there, they took a few minutes to show us the, around the cabin, and, and I remember sitting down in the recliner, and I went to sleep again, and I'd, I'd, Susan had to wake me up. I just was so exhausted. I just physically was worn out. Sometimes we, we get that way, don't we? And we do need physical rest. But let me remind us of this this morning, that sometimes our greatest need is not only physical rest, sometimes our greatest need is soul rest. We just need to rest in the Lord and to rejoice in a testimony that is blessed with rest is to do do exactly what David did, and that is to trust him completely. What he has done for me, he will do for you. God is faithful. Our need is for more than just the physical rest. Our need is for soul rest. There's a beautiful hymn in our hymnal entitled Wonderful Peace, and it was written in the 18th century by George Cooper, who was uh, attending a Methodist camp meeting in Wisconsin. And the service was just a beautiful service, and and uh, doesn't give any detail of the message, but Cooper was, was just, just caught up in, in what was being preached. Excuse me, uh, W.D. Cornell was caught up in what was preached. And so as he was thinking through and listening to the message, he began to jot down some lines. And, and uh, when the service came to a close, he just, as he stood up, the piece of paper that he had been writing on just fell to the floor. A couple hours later, uh, George Cooper came through, and Cooper was the organist for the camp meeting, and he saw the paper lying on the floor, and he, he picked it up and began to read the lines, and he said, I can identify with this. So he added a little more to it, and then he went to the organ, and he, he, and he put together music to this beautiful old hymn that reads like this. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than psalm, In celestial-like strains, it unceasingly falls o'er my soul like an infinite calm. I am resting tonight in this wonderful peace, resting sweetly in Jesus' control, for I am kept from all danger by night and by day, and his glory is flooding my soul. Ah, soul, are you... Here without comfort or rest, marching down the rough pathway of time, make Jesus your friend, or the shadows grow dark. Oh, accept this peace, sweet peace, soul sublime. And the chorus sings like this Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. If you know it, sing it with me. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. In fathomless billows of love. A song like that can only be sung when the soul is at rest in the Lord. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. 
testimony of the redeemed. A testimony of the redeemed honors God with a holy heart. Verse 9, David said, fear the Lord. Verse 15, he says, here's God's response. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. To fear God and live a righteous life is to respond to God's call to holy living. To be holy means I have one deep supreme desire that I may be like Jesus. If we were to play Wheel of Fortune, the prize puzzle for the redeemed is a call to holy living. In Romans chapter 12, Paul gives it to us, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our testimony. Many of our brothers and sisters in other congregational settings are sometimes heard to respond to the question, can I get a witness? Obviously, we don't do that in the Church of Nazarene. And I'm not getting on to you. I'm just having fun with you. But I, I, I kind of like that. I wish somehow we could, uh, we could develop that. Because their response is, amen, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness? What it means is simply this. Do you agree? Now, I'm not sure if the church was the first to, to use this statement or if it came in the 60s from pop artist Marvin Gaye when he wrote a song entitled, Can I Get a Witness? And I, was, I did some research on this online. There are country songs by that title, Can I Get a Witness? There are church songs by that title, Can I Get a Witness? There are, there are rock songs by that title, Can I Get a Witness? So evidently, there's, there must be something to it. But I like what it means. Do you agree? And my reason for asking that this morning is this, because someone close to us, someone close to you, needs a witness. They need a witness of praise. They need a witness of pursuing faith. They need a witness of blessed rest. They need a witness calling them to live a holy life. But let me remind us this morning that we can only testify to what we have, have seen or experienced. I mentioned to you earlier that Susan and I pastored in Topeka, and it was about 1983 or 4, I think, somewhere in through, through there, that uh, near Christmas time our home was broken into, the parsonage was broken into. We were at church on a Sunday night, and we had the Christmas tree up. There were Christmas presents around the, the tree. The church had given us gifts that morning, and we'd placed them under the tree, and so when we came home from church, well, Susan's folks, actually, we had a church program, a Christmas program that evening, and, and Susan's folks had taken Tim, who was only about two at the time, and they'd gone home early, and they think, the police thinks, that they walked in on the robbery taking place because they had things pulled out of the closet that they intended to take, but they left them. 
But the house was just a mess. The gifts were gone, and uh, they had broken into to Susan's jewelry box, and they'd taken a shotgun that I had, and just a, a variety of things. And so we obviously were devastated. And, but sometime later, we received a call from um, a lawyer or the police department or somebody and said, uh, there's going to be a hearing on such and such a date, and uh, we need you to come and testify because we're pretty confident that we found your high school class rings. And so we went to the hearing and sat there for a number of hours, and, and uh, there were a variety of interesting things that took place. But it came time when uh, they called us to the witness stand, and they said, is this your high school class ring? And I said, yes, and uh, had my initials on each side. The year I graduated in 1965, Schnude High School. And then they asked Susan the same thing. Is this your high school class ring? She yes. Had her initials, 1966, Joint Rural High School. And they said, that's, that's, that's all. They said, you didn't, do, what they did ask us, they said, have you ever seen this man? They pointed at a guy sitting there. We said, no, we have no idea who he is. And they said, that's all. And we were a little disappointed and uh, a little frustrated. They didn't ask us anything else. But we learned later that here's the reason why. You can only respond to those things that you've actually seen or experienced. In fact, they told us that they couldn't convict the man on the fact that he had our high school class rings. They found him in his coat pocket. But he said, well, this isn't my coat. It belongs to a friend. And so they couldn't convict him on that. They did convict him on some other things. He said, Pastor Jim, what does that have to do with our testimony? You can only leave a true witness to what you've seen or experienced. And that's true spiritually as well, loved ones. Have you experienced the forgiveness of the Savior, His abiding love, His comforting your soul, a forgiven soul? Trust completely in the one who paid the price for our sin. We are leaving a testimony. Is it a testimony that glorifies our Father and brings praise and honor and glory to Him? Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. You've been so gracious. You've listened well. I've preached longer than I should. But remember this our lives count. We are the redeemed if we know Christ is our Savior. And we have a testimony to leave. Stand with me, would you please? Our gracious Father, what a joy to be in your house this morning. But we're not interested in just uh, saying that, well, we've met together for a while. God came. We're interested in allowing the Spirit to do in our hearts what He longs to do and needs to do. And so as we wait before you just for a moment, just uh, right where we are, Lord, if there, there may be someone here who says, you know, I, I'm, I'm like Jim's dad. I once was close, but I've drifted a bit because of some circumstances. It's never too late to pursue you. Help us to return to you. 
It may be, Lord, that there are some here today who are just simply saying, I'm tired, I'm physically tired, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted spiritually. It isn't that I don't love Jesus and that I'm not interested in doing what he needs me to do and wants me to do, but I just need a fresh anointing. And so through the power of your Spirit, come and lift us, I pray, our Father. Oh, how thankful we are for your faithfulness and your goodness. We've gathered in your, in your name. We go in the power and strength of your name, asking that you would give us peace, peace, wonderful peace, knowing that it comes from the Father above. In the precious and strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you and keep you.